Hi, and welcome back to the HSP Connection with me, Philippa Robinson. And me, Robbie Lee. This is where we share our stories, insights, and strategies to help fellow highly sensitive people navigate their own path to living a fulfilling and meaningful life. Philippa, what are we talking about today? And maybe a better question is, who are we talking with today? Well, Robbie, yes, it's exciting. We have a guest. We really love our guest episodes. And today we have the wonderful, wonderful Josh Sperano with us here. Um, Josh is a certified master life coach who works with HSPs. And um, he's a friend of the podcast. He's, uh, I think, safe to say he's listened to all our episodes. And, you know, we... You know, you came to our the hundredth episode of my previous podcast as well. So, you know, it's really lovely, Josh, to have you here today and welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for having me. It's definitely, you know, as I mentioned, it's one of my favorite shows, one that I do tune into every single week. I'm excited when I open up Spotify and it tells me there's a new episode, or sometimes I'll it'll come up in my YouTube feed. And uh there's just always something worth hearing in every episode and some sort of insight that I'll take away. And, and like I mentioned, I just, I really appreciate your vulnerability, the stories that you tell, the insights that you share, the way you tie those together. And uh, just so often there is a, a deep and meaningful lesson uh, throughout the course of the conversation. And, and it also just a practical insight or exercise to walk away with as well. Um, which for those of us who are still, you know, within the first couple of years of our HSP journey, I think it's extremely helpful just to hear how other people are solving some of the challenges that we run into. And also um, hearing that it's okay to, to struggle along the way that we don't have to have it all figured out. And the way that you guys share your stories about where you've struggled and how you've overcome those struggles, um, as well as the victories. I mean, all of that is amazing. And so it, those are the reasons I keep coming back every week. Oh, wow. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I mean, that's wow. Very grateful for those lovely words. And thank you. Um, that's kind of what we're trying to do. So it's really, it's really lovely to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. That's that's why we keep coming back every week. Um <laughs> yeah. and yeah, yeah, thank you. And you know, when we asked you um to come uh, and, and be a guest, in fact, we're, hopefully we're going to do more than one episode. But for this episode, we specifically wanted to talk to you about your experience as an HSP man. Because we've talked a lot, as you said, we share a lot about our experiences and, you know, but we're women, clearly. So we and, you know, I think I think it's hard at times coming to learn about ourselves as HSPs um so from my experience and I'm sure Robbie will say the same HSP women and all that society tells us and you know mm. that's hard and but we can only tell our story and we would love to hear your story um and I wondered if that's where you could start perhaps could you tell us um your story about discovering uh, you're an HSP um, kind of what that means for you. Absolutely. So I think it's interesting because it's so much easier to put the pieces together looking back um, than it is going forward. And so I spent a long time growing up 
wondering why I felt different, wondering why I seemed to feel things on a deeper level, wondering why I often um, seemed to feel out of place in certain circumstances or among my peers. Uh, not to say that I was the only one who had deep emotions or deep feelings, but just to say that there weren't many of us that were wired that way. Um, and so it was an interesting journey going through school and just learning basically along the way to hide my feelings or to keep them to myself and feeling almost like they were a burden to other people that I needed to just go and process on my own and then come back. And it just felt safer that way at times. And so really in terms of finding out that I was a highly sensitive person, my journey was a little bit different in that I found out that I was an empath before I found out that I was a highly sensitive person. And so I kept walking by the book, The Empath Survival Guide at a bookstore, and something about the title and something about the concept of being an empath stuck out to me. But it took me a while to even go over and just open it up and start perusing it and and learn, okay, what does that mean to be an empath? And as soon as I read over the the little checklist in the book, I thought, oh, that's me. <laughs> and so that one was kind of cool. It's like, oh, it's, you know, this unique side to me, this, you know, unique attribute that I have. And as I was actually reading the book, I came across the term highly sensitive person. And I think I had heard it in conversations before that, but it was almost dismissed or it was, there were some of those uh, stigmas that can be attached to the phrase. And I thought, oh, I don't know that that's something I'm interested in. And <laughs> it just so happened that at one point, the more I thought about it and the more I thought about that term, it kept coming up in different contexts. And so I finally went on to Elaine Aaron's site at hsperson.com and took the self-test. And I scored very high on that. And I thought, oh, there is something here. What what does this actually mean? Because, you know, as you know, it's so so many times when the phrase highly sensitive person is brought up, there is a negative connotation to it. This thought of being fragile or frail or weak. And what I found as I dove into learning more about the subject was, wait, no, there's so much value here. This is so cool. And, you know, it's yeah, we look at, let's say, the the DOES acronym you know, depth of processing, overstimulation, uh, emotional responsivity, empathy, and then sensitive or yeah, sensitivity to subtleties. And I looked at those and I thought, well, the overstimulation part, yeah, that's not always fun. But those other attributes are all superpowers. Those other attributes are all incredible. And I thought then the other aspect of it was just, it's helped me so much to feel at home in my own skin, because now I understand that there is a genetic trait that makes me different. It's not that I'm sort of some sort of a freak or outsider or that I'm broken, which I think for many years I carried those thoughts with me and the world didn't do anything to contradict that, <laughs> those thoughts. Um, but what I found is that realizing that this is a genetic trait and realizing all of the strengths that come with this uh, really has been incredible and what I've been able to do, and I think it's similar for most of us who are highly sensitive, we look back over our journeys and we look at the struggles and we realize, oh, wow, this is why I struggled in that area growing up. This is why I've always felt things on a deeper level. This is why I've always wanted to take my time and observe a situation before I just dive right in. And this is why I notice all those little quirks that other people seem to overlook, um, sights and sounds and smells and things in the environment that other people seem completely oblivious to. <laughs> And so 
like I said, so it's just an interesting journey and almost a, in a way, I feel like I'm growing into myself now that I have this knowledge. But I think so many of the the greatest aspects of our personal growth journeys and our personal evolution is it comes out of self-awareness. And I think this was a huge piece of the puzzle that I didn't even realize I was missing. And now that I have it, it's brought so many other things to light and clarified so many other things. And so it, I, <laughs> long story made extra long, I guess that's, um, that's been the journey for me. It's oh, wonderful to hear you, to, to hear you say that. And I'm sure yeah. there, I mean, I'm resonating with quite, quite a bit of it. And I'm sure, I'm sure Robbie is, I'm going to ask her in a minute, but, um, you know, and I'm sure there are people listening who are really going to resonate with that. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. What did you think? What, what were you, what were you thinking, Robbie? I mean, my head was like on bobble over here. I, I really, you know, really resonated with what you were talking about, how when maybe you first were hearing the term, it's kind of like, oh, no, that's not something I want to be associated with. Like, that's like, yes, exactly. Because that was the same for me. Like when I first heard the term, what I would associated it with was the weaknesses, the over stimulation, like those things. And it's like, well, I don't want that to be me, you know? Mm -hmm. And as I have learned more about it, that's why it's so important to me now to help people be aware of the strengths of sensitivity and how you talked about discovering kind of the superpowers of it and yeah. realizing, you know, like, oh, no, this explains why I'm able to do things in situations that other people are just completely oblivious oblivious to. And yeah, I really, really connected with what you were talking about. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I love that you were talking about um, the book, the, the book about empaths that you were, you mm -hmm. kept looking at or you kept sort of like, it was like you were walking past it and it was sort of mm -hmm. quietly calling to you and you were like, no, no, I'm not listening. <laughs> And yeah. do you reckon that was your highly sensitive intuition really drawing you in that direction, but you just weren't listening for a while? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, I think intuition is something I've gotten more comfortable with over time, but it's definitely, it's almost a muscle that I just wasn't using for the longest time. And I think maybe either it didn't feel safe or it just didn't feel as natural. And I think sometimes as we grow up, we almost lose touch with that part of ourselves because as kids, it's it's completely natural to have a, a kind of stray thought and follow it and see where it goes. And then as we get older, that's either frowned upon or discouraged, or we think, well, what if it leads in the wrong way? And we second guess it. And so it is something I think I learned to tune into. And that's, yeah, that's a great example of a time where it was something, just something about the word empath and something about the title of that book that kept calling my name. And I knew, okay, there's something there for me when I have the time to go sit down and read it, when I have the money to to go buy the book. And eventually I just sat down with it there in the bookstore and just thought, okay, well, something about this is for me. And I, I, I want to find out what it is. And, and it was just this really cool rabbit trail um, that it, that it led me down. And um, like I said, just so many elements of self-discovery that came out of that, uh, that have been transformative in so many different ways. And, and not just for me, but I think also for other people in my life to be able to explain to them what I was finding out about myself and also to learn better coping skills based on my sensitivity. So, you know, instead of going to a friend's party, 
and feeling like I had to stick it out and had to stay the whole time and had to put on a, a happy face and just, you know, pretend like I had all the energy in the world. Little things like finding out, okay, well, when I'm in a crowd, especially a crowd of extroverts, my battery's going to go down a lot faster. And so what I need to do is plan a time that works for me and have an exit strategy, make the most of the time that I'm there and I have that energy, but also not feel bad about saying, okay, you know, I need to need to head out. And so it's, it's everything that comes with it. You know, it's the initial um, awareness, I think is huge. But then also the the depth of understanding that we can gain about the trait and about ourselves. And I think the third step that I often see that I've seen played out in my journey, but also in others is this awakening. And Robbie, I think you alluded to that a little bit earlier, waking up to the beauty of the gift that we have inside of us and waking up to the beauty of the gifts that come with the trait and learning how to channel those and really put those to work in our lives. I think it's just this incredible process that unfolds as we we go through our journeys. And that's that's the framework I often use with my clients is that awareness, understanding, awakening process, um, because it really is a way that we can settle into our own skin and then not just survive as highly sensitive people, but thrive and really build the the, the vibrant and fulfilling lives that we desire. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, you know, if ever the, the, you know, if ever anybody needs to do an advert for highly sensitive people, it's like, get Josh down. (laughs) You know, Josh can, Josh can tell it you all in a, like, you know, um, yeah, everyone's going to want to be highly sensitive if you're not careful. So, you know. Let's not, you know, let, let's not be too positive about it. I'm joking. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, and what was really coming to my mind as you were speaking then was reminding me about the episode we did about permission, because it feels like that, you, you know, okay, you know, maybe we're putting off looking into this, but eventually, you know, I think the more that there is awareness around high sensitivity, the more highly sensitive people are going to be drawn to finding out a little bit more. And yes, you know, you can listen to a podcast, you can read a book, you can go, oh, that's me. But then what? And I I think it, it feels to me that then there has to come some permission from within to, to embrace it and to, mm-hmm. to, to start to, um, bring it into you know bring it into our everyday life in ways that you you've just explained and other ways that we've talked about in other episodes mm-hmm. um would you would would you agree do you think that that there is a, an element of permission like permission to be highly sensitive yeah absolutely it's it's interesting because i think for me now that i know that i'm highly sensitive and i realize that that is an aspect of who i've been all my life I'm all about raising that awareness. It's one of those things where I think it almost breaks my heart to think about the number of children growing up who have this trait, who have no clue just because it's not shared about enough because not enough people are talking about it. I mean, if we if we go with the different percentages that people have put out there where between 20 to 30% of people are highly sensitive and have this genetic trait, and then you think about logically how many people actually know. I mean, I'd be surprised really if maybe more than, you know, one in 10 
could be closer to one in a hundred people actually have heard the term and know what it means, mm-hmm. you know, not just the, the negative stereotypes that, you know, put people into kind of the, the Namby Pamby box as I think of it. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's just, there's so many, so much misunderstanding around the trade and, and what it actually means. And because of that, I think there are so many children who are growing up highly sensitive and have no clue. And so they're going through the same struggles that that we've all gone through. And my thought is, what if we can cut down that learning curve? What if we can share the message in a way that is relatable, that's real, that's vulnerable, that, you know, even if somebody can find out in their teenage years and start adjusting their lives accordingly and embracing their strengths at that point, how phenomenal would that be? And what would that movement look like and that revolution look like if this became an everyday subject of conversation? And so to me, you know, that raising awareness is is a huge aspect of what I love to do through LinkedIn and, um, you know, through being a guest when I can on, on podcasts, because it's just, it's something everybody needs to know about whether they are highly sensitive. If they know more than three other people, they know somebody who's highly sensitive. And so, <laughs> you know, it, it helps them, uh, you know, especially if they are an HSP to know how to better structure their lives and embrace their strengths. But even if they're not, if, you know, it could be that they're raising a highly sensitive child and how much more would that child benefit from a parent who knows about their sensitivity, who knows some of the struggles they might face and who can be right there alongside them and not be wondering why, you know, why does my child have so many breakdowns or why do they seem so stressed or why aren't they like their siblings and, all those questions that come up when it's one of those things where just a little bit of awareness goes a long way, I guess. Um, And so I think all of that is huge. And then back to the awakening side of it, like you were saying, it just informs so much of how we live and how we operate and how we keep track of our energetic batteries. Uh, But it also, I think is huge in that for those of us who are deeply compassionate and empathic, it helps us understand, Oh, there, you know, there's a, biological reason there's a genetic reason why i've always been able to look at people and see the best in them and believe in them even when they can't believe in themselves and why i've always desired to walk alongside people and cheerlead them um, just by nature because i see so many incredible gifts and so much potential in them and i think for me that was one of the other cool things about my highly sensitive person journey was the idea that I suddenly knew so much more about why I was wired the way that I was. uh, But I also was able to say, oh, this is a gift that I was born with. And this is why I've always seen the best in people. And this is why I've always wanted to um, coach people, for lack of a better term. And I just didn't realize that it was innate, that it was, you know, there was a gift that was there the whole time. And so now it's like, oh, I can use this even more because now I know why I'm wired the way that I am. And why I have such, you know, deep compassion for those who are struggling and who are looking for answers and who just need somebody to to believe in them and to walk with them through life. Yes. And what a gift you give them by just being that in the world. You know, that is amazing. I'd love to circle back a second in what you're talking about with children, because, oh my God, this is a topic that Philip and I chat about too. It's... Because what a difference, like you're talking about kind of early intervention, what a difference we could be making in the lives of highly sensitive children, yes, but also their families and society. Mm -hmm. If at those early stages, we were not only recognizing what they needed 
and being able to give it to them, but helping them to see their gifts from that early when they're already like you talked about as kids, we're already kind of allowing our intuition, for example, to flow. Like we, we Mm -hmm. haven't yet learned, Oh, that's, we shouldn't do that. Or we shouldn't tell people that or whatever. And then being able, I imagine kids being in an environment where that was nurtured. Mm-hmm. And I just think about, gosh, where could they be as adults <laughs> if, if their life was uh, full of recognition and nurturing and helping helping them to learn how to regulate their own system, right? And give themselves what yeah. they needed. And that not only was it okay that they were different, they're not broken, but in fact, they're adding something really cool to the world because of who they are, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. I love the way you express that. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know. Do you have children, Josh? I do not. No. So I'm the only one here yeah. who does. But um, I, I, yeah, I, I cannot not that I, I'm so I'm just saying I, I can speak about children like from my own experience I'm I'm still not I've got two boys who are teenagers and I think they're I think they might both be highly sensitive but I think they mm-hmm. both experience it in different ways but I'm not 100% sure which is really interesting because I thought I would know I mean mm-hmm. so you know anybody who's listening who is is not sure then you know I like to think I know quite a lot about high sensitivity and I'm not 100% sure because I can't talk, I can't have that, the, the sort of the real deep, meaningful conversation I need to have with them yet because they're not mm-hmm. ready for it. Um, but I do think they both display some behaviour that leads me to think that their overwhelm is coming from stimulation of their senses. And I so I do mm-hmm. think they might be. Um, but also I'm open to that, clearly. I mean, I don't necessarily want them to, you know, I'm not making them be highly sensitive, but um, if they are, I mean, that's that's amazing. And anything that they do, anything that they do that's worthy of praise, I try, you know, I praise, mm-hmm. um, especially if it's to do with um, how they, I, I think I told a story a few weeks ago about my son, my oldest sort of saying to me that he, he in, in the dark, he chooses a different way to walk home than the other way because he, he gets a spidey feeling about not going the mm-hmm. other way. And I was saying to him, listen to that. You know, yeah. if you if that is coming up in you, listen to that. It's really important because there is something in you that you don't have to understand, but there's something in there that is telling you not to go that way and to go the other way. You know, really listen to that. Um, because we've all got lots of stories that we can tell about times that we've gone against our intuition, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And it, you know, just little things like that can make a, well, I suppose it's not little, but it, you know, it can make, it can really make a difference. Um, on that note, can I ask you, Josh? So, you know, I've got two boys and I, I'm wondering how I, I hope this is, uh, I don't know if this is an okay question and whether, but how does it show up for you? I mean, it might be that it's exactly Mm -hmm. the same as me, but what I'm wondering is, does it present itself differently, high sensitivity to you because you're a man or just because you're you, because it shows up in all different ways. But I was just, do you know what I mean? I believe so. 
So I think one thing I would recommend to the listeners is on that same website, hsperson.com, there is a test for, um, is your child highly sensitive? Yeah. And so that can be a great place to start. And what I found in looking at it myself and looking at it through the lens of, you know, little Josh growing up was that I would have checked off pretty much every single box. And I think my mom or dad looking back at it would have checked off every single box. And so many of the elements that you find there are related to intelligence, you know, asking really deep, intelligent questions from a very early age. I think oftentimes HSP kids are the ones who might get labeled as old souls. And so and and that's that's something that I know was part of my childhood and part of how I was wired early on. You know, it was one of those things always asking odd questions or deeper questions, I think, than what was normal for my age. Um, not just, you know, the, the cause why that a lot of kids <laughs> ask, but, um, but more, you know, why, and then a follow-up and, and wanting to know more and more and wanting to understand how everything in the world worked and how it all fit together. And so I think if you have a child who demonstrates that desire, that depth of processing, that desire to know the inner workings of things, um, and especially if they demonstrate extreme empathy for their peers or for family members, that that also can be a, a huge clue to high sensitivity. And I think for me, empathy is probably the trait out of the DOES acronym that I've always related to the most, um, just because I've always felt like not only did I feel my own emotions, but I felt other people's as well. And it was an odd thing. And it, for for years and years, I didn't understand exactly what it was. And then I began to understand it and I wondered, okay, how do I turn this off or how do I um, soften what I'm receiving from other people? And, and we could dive into that later potentially. But um, I think kids who are very compassionate and highly empathetic, that that can be a sign of high sensitivity. If they come home and they talk about a friend of theirs who's struggling at school, or if they go over to a friend's house and they come back and tell you about their family and they're concerned about their friend's well-being or about something that they heard or said or saw. Um, those are two very big clues, I think. And then the other element would just be with the, you know, what you talked about, the you alluded to a little bit about the overstimulation. You know, if they're just, they seem constantly stressed or burdened emotionally, um, if they often kind of withdraw to themselves and, and cry or spend a lot of time alone. And that's, something that I did. And and part of it was related to the family I grew up in. There were, I mean, my parents were amazing. My sister's great, but there were times when it was a very turbulent household and times where I felt like my emotions on top of everything else going on was too much. And then I needed to take that and process it on my own. And then when I got myself under control, I would come back around and that kind of stuffing feelings and isolating was a very unhealthy pattern that I had to break. Um, and it, led to some very negative outcomes along the way or poor choices. Um, so that's something that I would look for in your kids is, are they, do they tend to stuff their feelings? Do they tend to isolate and then come back around? Or do they feel like they can be open and vulnerable with you? And to kind of tie everything up that we've been talking about with my friends, uh, one of the neat things has been talking with them about identifying their children, whether or not they're highly sensitive and with one of my friends in particular, uh, you know, she looked at the, you know, is your child highly sensitive test and basically said, yeah, he checks all the boxes. And I I had a, a theory 
that that was true, but I wasn't going to slap a label on her child. And, you know, one of the questions she had was, well, when do I talk about this with him? And I feel like that's a question that only the parent themselves can answer. But I think when your child comes to you with questions that fall within the lines of high sensitivity, and they start asking questions that imply that they're on the right track to figuring that out, that that's a good time. And so when they ask, you know, why, why am I so different from my classmates? Or why do I feel things so much deeper than others? Or why do I have this keen sense of injustice that other kids don't seem to have? Those are all clues to me that they're on the right track of figuring out that they're sensitive and that maybe that's the time to, to introduce it. But again, that's, you know, every parent's choice. But I think especially if, if you notice that your child is feeling things on a very deep level and carrying a lot of emotional weight, then whether or not you dive into the subject of high sensitivity or whether you just give them some coping skills and help them to figure out how they can share and you just let them remind them that you're always a, a safe place for them to share whatever they're feeling, whatever they're experiencing. I think just leaving that door open, if nothing else, is a huge step in the right direction. And the rest will take care of itself. And like we were talking about with intuition, I think with your kids, um, you know, at least again, with from in my experience with my nieces and nephews and with my friends' children, there's just an intuitive knowing of their, you know, that child seems to be very sensitive. I wonder if they are, you know, and introducing that to their parents so they can make their own decisions. Um, but just honoring that intuition. And if it feels like the right time to have a conversation around this subject with them, then I would say go for it. And if it feels like it's a little bit too early still, um, and you just want to give them some coping skills to help them with their big emotions until the timing feels right to really dive deep, then that's great too. Um, you know, as long as they're supported, then it's, it's, you know, fantastic either way. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's that support and that nurturing of who they are, not the label that's on it. Yeah, it's the nurturing absolutely. of who they are. And everything you've just said just still leads me to believe that both my kids in different ways are highly sensitive, which is really, mm -hmm. I hope they are. Um, yeah, it, it, such wise words there. And I suppose why, why we're just talking about that, you, you, were, you were mentioning coping skills. So mm -hmm. I wondered if you'd got anything that you could share that would be useful to anybody who's listening to this thinking, yeah, you know, I, I need I need some help to help my, well, to help me or to help my child like we're talking about at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the biggest things for me that I've been doing a lot lately is um, box breathing. And so I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but that's something that's been extremely helpful. And I don't, you know, it's one of those things I think everyone kind of has a slightly different interpretation of what it is. But for me, and when I share with others, what I often tell them is, you know, breathing in for a count of four, holding it for a count of four, breathing out for a count of four, holding that for a count of four, then breathing in again. So you have that box basically of that pattern. Yeah. And then what I often recommend to people is see if you can extend that a little bit each time. So if you can extend your inhalation, so you're breathing in deeper and more from the diaphragm, because oftentimes when we start out with box breathing, I think we start up here instead of down in our diaphragm. And so I encourage them, take a deep breath, run through it a couple of times, but then each time try and extend that count of four a little bit more and slow yourself down even more. Um, because I think it works on two different levels. One is it takes our focus off whatever has stressed us because we're focused in on our breathing. And then obviously just in regulating our nervous system because we're slowing down, because we're getting more oxygen to our body and to our brain that's one of the first places I start when I notice that I'm starting to feel a little bit frazzled or stressed. Um, the, uh, one of the things for me is walks in nature. And I think just 
stepping away from whatever the stressful situation is, if if it's possible at that moment. Obviously, at work, box breathing is going to be a better coping strategy than walking out of the office and not talking to anybody. Um, But even if you can get away on your lunch break and just take a few minutes to be outside and catch your breath and enjoy nature, I think for empaths and for highly sensitive people that nature and especially running water are both very healing for us and um, sometimes can wash that stress away, even just getting into a shower and taking a shower to, you know, physically feel that washing the stress away is something that has been recommended to me and that I I find very helpful. Um, But just getting present, just slowing down. um, Those are both things that work really well. And box breathing is something that you can teach a child early on um, that can help them slow down and and really um, get back in touch with themselves. And what I've noticed with my friends' kids is that sometimes what I'll do, if I notice one of them in particular just seems very frazzled or very stressed, is just encouraging them like, hey, let's step over here for a minute, you know, and think of something like, hey, help me hang up these, um, you know, clothing hangers in the closet. And it gets them physically doing something away from whatever the stress is. And they also have that chance to talk to you one-on-one, even if it's just like, hey, let's let's go walk the dog or, you know, anything along those lines that unplugs them. And it teaches them that it's okay to step away from something that's stressing you out and to relax and unplug for a minute and then come back when you're ready. And I think along the lines, like you were saying with the episode on permission, so often we feel like I have to figure this out right now. I have to have all the answers right now. And the reality is that you don't. 99% of the time, you can take a break, you can unplug, you can relax for a minute and come back to it. And chances are in that process of recharging, you're going to be better equipped to take on whatever challenge was there to begin with, whether again, whether that's a child or whether that's as an adult. Um, And I know for me, when I get the most stressed now, it clicks in, but it's taken a long time to make it that instinctual. Okay, for some reason, this has me super frazzled and I don't know what it is exactly, but I'm going to step outside on the front porch for a while, catch my breath, and then I'll come back. Um, instead of feeling like I have to be able to address this right away and, and I have to have all the answers, which I don't know why. And I don't know if that's a universal thing or not. I don't know why that I'm wired that way, but so often it's like, well, I'll give myself a break when I figured this out or when I get done with this. And it's like, no, take the break now, relax, Mm -hmm. catch your breath and come back when you're, you know, your battery's a little bit more full, um, instead of putting more pressure on, which generally I think is highly sensitive people, that extra pressure is just really not healthy for us. It's not good. And it shuts down so many of the neural pathways that our natural curiosity opens up if we feel stress or pressured, or, you know, we feel like there's a hard deadline that we have to have this figured out right away. Oh my gosh. It's so (laughs) gold, everything you just shared there. And, you know, as as I was listening to you, it's just reminding me that a lot of these things that are super helpful for us as highly sensitive people, but mm-hmm. would benefit most of the population. Like, you yeah. know, in so many cultures, it's very, things just feel really fast and like, go, 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 go. And you have to know the, you know, the pressure to know it all and to do all mm-hmm. the things and, and how valuable it is to be able to give ourselves the space and the permission to Let's take a break from that a second. Let's go out in nature. Let's mm-hmm. move away from the crowd and do a quiet activity, right? All of these things, which actually then get us in a place where we can hear the answers, right? Or where yeah, things do start absolutely. firing again. Um, those are great. I thought those were great examples. And the breathing, like you said, so easy to do 
in most any environment you're in and mm-hmm. no one has to know you're doing it. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be if you're feeling self-conscious because you're, you know, sharing a cubicle with some somebody or something, they don't have to know mm-hmm. what you're doing, but you, you can still take that time and reset your nervous system. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. And you know, if needs be, you can just step away, you know, you know, to, to the, to the loo or something can't you you know i was telling yeah. somebody to do that the, oh how am i going to cope at this big meeting and i was like well you know if you, if you need to just get yourself out of the room and just have a couple of minutes to regroup and you know look yourself in the mirror and a few breaths and tell you tell yourself you've got it and then you can you you can go back um but i i yeah these are all really great examples and um uh ideas of things to do when we are in that situation before we just move on i just wanted to mention one other thing that um i think for children who are finding uh find going to new places or so for for, for one of my children it was going to school every day mm. they were finding it really really tough to settle down and be with all the noise and all those people so um what 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 we did is they took they took something from home something little that they took in their pocket and when they were feeling overwhelmed they could touch that thing it was like a touchstone so they could touch it in their pocket and just sort of know that that was something from home and something that that made them feel a bit like, oh, it's okay. So it was something to help ground them in the moment. And that yeah. can be, and, you know, I think that could help all of us as adults as mm-hmm. well. You know, I, I think that is that is something really easy and really mm-hmm. quite small, but that could that, that, that could help, I, I, I think. I've, I've definitely yeah. done it before. Absolutely. I've taken, um, from different walks I've been on, you know, taking a piece of bark and brought it back with me or a rock from the Creek and brought it back and just, you know, rub my hand over that a little bit too. Cause again, it, it helps us create that mindful environment to be fully present um, to draw ourselves back from catastrophizing or wherever our mind is trying to go and brings us and helps us to get present. And so that's beautiful. I love that you did that. Um, yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, he used it for about six months and then, well, he lost a couple along the way and we had to keep replacing them. But, um, you know, uh, he chose my lovely piece of tiger's eye and then promptly lost it. But, you know, we got another one. And um, yeah, it, yeah, it just, it's just little, I I don't know, things that I suppose I perhaps might not have thought about before. Mm -hmm. Um, And somebody suggested that to you. It wasn't my original idea. I can't take, um, I can't take the credit for that but it really worked. So I just wanted to share that. And I love the way this conversation has gone, but we have sort of gone off on a a brilliant tangent and talking about these things, but I would love to just pull it back, if that's okay, to talk about you as a highly sensitive man. And thank you for sharing your story and your coping strategies um, or and some of them that have been useful, but I'd really love to know what it's like to be a highly sensitive man now. Um, And have you seen a change in that over the last couple of years? Have you two, five years been able to talk about it, owning that? What is it like? Yeah. So I think it's really interesting. And I'll give you an example from over the weekend, just because it was kind of funny the way it unfolded. I was, uh, some, I was talking to somebody about the second avatar movie, 
that recently came out and you know has been streaming and i mentioned watching it and that i had cried in the theaters when i watched it and cried again when i watched it at home and the the lady i was talking to is a you know sister of a friend of mine type of thing and she's like oh you were crying at the movie and i think before that would have embarrassed me or it would have shut me down and it was just like yeah i did you know because again i know now that the reason that happens you know the that that's related to the gift of empathy that i have and why it gets triggered by tv shows and movies i have no idea maybe you know i suspend disbelief a little bit too much but i've just realized that um there is a depth of compassion to me that's an incredible gift and that's one of the ways that it manifests and so understanding how i'm wired makes it so much easier to have compassion for myself and to accept myself as i am and so i think that's one of the things that's been huge is you know when i was a kid it would have been a matter of okay i need to wipe my eyes real quick and make sure nobody sees me crying and i need to pretend like i wasn't if somebody asks you know i need to hide these emotions that i'm feeling because what will people think if which i think is a struggle a lot of us have as highly sensitive is what will people think and especially as highly sensitive men sometimes we just don't understand where is this coming from why do i feel this so deeply um you know why am i not more manly or masculine and i think that that's a whole separate discussion that we could get into but it's this idea of so often we people create this spectrum of you have masculinity on one side and sensitivity on the other and if you're going to be a man you have to be on this masculine side and i think what i've noticed and in my personal opinion you the the spectrum is not masculinity versus sensitivity it's sensitivity versus insensitivity and i feel like the the men who struggle the most are the ones who try to pretend like they don't have feelings or those who just honestly don't seem to feel any sort of compassion or empathy for anyone else. And I think real strength is not seen in those men who try to be the center of attention and try to browbeat others and try to use their strength to intimidate others. To me, that's not a sign of real masculine strength. Instead, it's the person who comes up and is willing to be open and vulnerable and compassionate and someone who sees, you know, for those who are fathers, someone whose instinct is how do I protect my children, not just on a physical level, but on an emotional level? Um, how do I help create a safe space for them? Like you were talking about Robbie, so that they know that whatever they're struggling with, they can come to me because to me, that's the real masculine man is the one who can be open and vulnerable with his children. Um, someone who can see a coworker struggling and pull them aside and say, hey, are you okay? And deal with them on an empathic level, not the person who needs to look like they have it all together or needs to have a body that's of a certain type so they can intimidate people. To me, those are the people who demonstrate the most insecurity. And I feel like the, you know, if anything, if there's a masculinity there, masculinity there, it's the toxic masculinity that often gets spoken about. I, you know, again, I think so often, the media will portray any sort of masculinity as toxic. And I don't think that that's true. I, you know, I don't think that it's healthy to shut down boys from wanting to be men and wanting to have rough and tumble play, but it's about what's behind that. You know, what's the motive behind it. If you're looking at your dad who intimidates people and gets mad and lashes out, and that's your, your, um, you know, your source of what it means to be masculine or be a man, I think that can send very confusing signals. And I think that that's where um, instead of those stereotypes, you know, the macho action hero stereotypes that go around of this is what it means to be a man. I think 
we need more highly sensitive men to embrace their sensitivity, to embrace the the depth of compassion and empathy that they have, and to demonstrate that um, so that it's not so much, look at me, look how invulnerable I am, but instead it's, you know, whatever you're feeling, I want to be in there with you and support you and walk alongside you. And I think that that's something that learning I was a highly sensitive person has given me is that ability to no longer feel ashamed of my compassion or empathy or my emotions when they come up, but just to to be open and real about it and to be vulnerable and to not back away from supporting others because what will people think if I sit down next to them, put my arm around them and cry with them? That doesn't matter to me. What matters is that that person gets the help and support that they need. Um, and I think we can only really do that when we begin to embrace the innate qualities that come with high sensitivity and be willing to be ourselves and be authentic, even if that means expressing emotions that aren't traditionally manly, you know, even if that means, um, and I think one of the other things that that, that does is uh, it gives us permission to follow our intuition more and to speak up and, and be courageous in a sense that we might not otherwise, because, well, you know, the people around me don't agree with this viewpoint. And, you know, for, for a guy, so often it's that peer pressure of, well, the group is making fun of this person for this reason. And if I disagree with them or call them out on that, then, you know, that could alienate me from the group. And, you know, if I want to be one of the guys, I need to fall into this mold. And to me, that's not important anymore. And what's more important is that if I hear, even if they're friends of mine saying something that's out of line, um, you know, I'm more than willing to stand up for that other person and to confront my friends and just say, hey, that's not right. Like to stereotype that person to act like they have no value because they live a different life or believe something different than you. Like that's not what, it, you know, that's not what a, a healthy, authentic person does. And that's not the kind of love and acceptance that that person needs. And so there are, there are so many different elements and so many ways that that conversation could go. But I guess um, to me, it's figuring out what does it mean for me to be authentic to myself and to the way that I'm wired as a highly sensitive person? And how do I honor that rather than so many of the subject, subjects that you guys have tackled as far as rather than feeling like I need permission to be myself, rather than feel like I need to conform or people please um, in order to blend in. And instead, I think the more we get in touch with our authentic selves, and especially the sensitive side of our authentic selves, the more we really come to life, and the more we can have a positive impact on the lives of the people around us, and especially the lives of the people that we love. Oh my gosh. Boom. I got chills when you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> like literal chills, Josh. I, I mean, what you're describing is so beautiful to me. First of all, your own authenticity, right? Like just my language would be loving yourself enough, having enough self-love self to just follow your own intuition, follow your own guidance mm -hmm. and be who you are in the world, which is compassionate, right? You mm -hmm. are someone who is there for other people. You're very empathetic. And I mean, that's how we change culture, right? That's how we change the world is by people who are brave enough like you to do those things, to be who you really are. And then it creates these ripple effects because as you're then doing that and modeling it, Right. Other people are then thinking, oh, 
well, here's a different way to be a man, right? Because mm. I, I think that's part of the problem, in my opinion, is that we've had for so long these, this is what it means to be a woman, this is what it means to be a man. And they're mm. very restrictive and not at all um, encompassing of the multitudes of people. And exactly. so you being yourself, it creates a model for others. And it also... I'm going to go back to that word permission again, which is it gives them permission to be themselves. And I mean, wow, for both men and women to see a man who is strong in that way of saying what is true for them, of sticking up for other people who um, maybe don't have the voice, who are compassionate and loving, like that is a, a wonderful way to be masculine, you know, in my opinion. And that that's what changes. I always have these lofty things, but that's what changes the world, right? Exactly. People being themselves. So I just want to say, first of all, thank you for who you are in the world. Mm-hmm. Um and for being that model, you know, for others. That it is it's really a wonderful way to be in the world. Just being you is it's amazing. Thank you. Thank wow. you so much. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. Yeah, it really is. And my 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 boys don't listen to my podcast. Of course they don't, but I'm going to make them listen to this episode. <laughs> I really, really am. And you know, you made a, a, a um, you know, a really good point that, you know, so-called toxic masculinity, whether, you know, whether that's just the buzzword for the moment, but this idea of how men should be, mm-hmm. um, you know, doesn't serve, I mean, it doesn't serve anybody doesn't serve men it doesn't serve women it doesn't serve anybody does it because you know um none of us should have to be anyway in particular we are who we are and um i think it's also important for us to say that 50% of highly sensitive people are men it's not more yeah. prevalent in women than it is in men it's just i think mm-hmm. I, I think perhaps there are more women talking about it because it's taking time for men to have the courage like you to 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 be bringing it more to the forefront but it's innate in in equal Mm -hmm. amounts of women and men so you know come on highly sensitive people everywhere you know you know let's embrace our high sensitivity um and see the strength in it but you know you have been such a joy to have as as a as a guest I feel like we could talk for for ages and I I know we could talk for ages so hopefully Mm -hmm. you will come back and we can talk about other subjects but I just think in the interest of time um, and people listening, it might be a good place to start um, wrapping up. But before we do, um, Robbie, was there anything you wanted to say before we finish with Josh? I mean, just my utter gratitude. Like I yeah. said, I, I think that um, I love the message that you but messages that you put out into the world. I think, you know, as Philip has said earlier, like if we need anybody who can... Um, really tout the the wonderfulness of being a highly sensitive person like just call josh like <laughs> uh, I, th- I think you you know you're just a be- you're a beautiful light in our community and i'm i'm just so glad that we got to have this conversation i'm looking forward to more in the future yeah. and thank you so much for sharing your story and the work that you do in the world and just who you are i think you're i think you're a really wonderful person it was lovely to talk to you today and i'd love for people to know how they can get in touch with you um we'll have it in the show notes but any shout out you want to give here we'd love to give you that forum 
Okay. Yeah. Um, so, wow. Well, thank you for, for your kind words, both of you, and just for having me on and letting me be a guest. It is a, a privilege uh, to be here and to be able to, to share these things. And I appreciate you giving me a little bit of leeway and just expressing my thoughts and following where those wanted to go. Um, so the best place to find me on social media would be LinkedIn. I'm there. I'm on there every single day. I post pretty much every day or every other day. And so that's a great place to get started, especially in my featured section. There are a lot of freebies, free eBooks and guides. I actually wrote one that covers a lot of what we talked about earlier, that awareness, understanding, awakening model um, is in an eBook that I wrote that I think of kind of as a, a handbook for highly sensitive people that I wish someone had handed me when I first learned that I was highly sensitive yeah. and uh, would have would have saved a little bit of the learning curve that was there. And so some of the best lessons and coping skills I've picked up are in that ebook. Um, but there also is a quiz on there that I created recently about burnout and a way to assess uh, whether or not we are living on the edge of burnout or the the brink of burnout, as I call it. So for even if people are, are listening or watching this that aren't necessarily highly sensitive, but are just very compassionate, um, that's a great place to go. And they'll get some coping skills and uh, lessons out of that quiz if they follow that through. And then the other place they could go is just to my website, thesuccesscycle.com. Um, and they can just dis discover more of those resources on there. And um, either way, if people have questions, if they have things that they'd like to talk about, you know, they can DM me through LinkedIn or email me through my website. And I'd love to have those conversations and see where those go and support them however I can. Wonderful. Please go and check Josh out. Um we'll put all the links in the show notes as we've said but um you know he is, he has so much to to share and so much wisdom and you know it's just an all-round wonderful person so go and check him out and before we go josh was there anything that that we haven't asked you that you that you want to say um no the the couple other kind of stray thoughts i guess i can um share real quick one is on the subject of highly sensitive men there is that documentary coming out soon uh may, maybe by the time this airs uh sensitive men rising that should be i believe will be an incredible documentary and that will be a great introduction and will also be a great way of raising awareness around this subject and so i definitely encourage people um to check that out and uh so that would be one resource that people could find that uh could be very helpful and hopefully will will make this more of an everyday subject of conversation. And then the other thing would just be the highly sensitive person summit or the HSP awakening summit that we're all a part of coming in the first week of October. And so obviously they can follow along with your show um, or with LinkedIn. Uh, there are several people involved in that who are sharing. Um, and as we get closer to October, especially they'll we'll be talking about it even more, but I just, with the caliber of speakers that we've brought on board, um, I think that that's going to be an amazing event for raising awareness. And also just with the variety of subjects, I think whether people are in business, uh, whether they're entrepreneurs, whether they are a highly sensitive parent or the parent of a highly sensitive child, there are going to be amazing lessons and sessions and resources and interviews in that event that could be potentially life transforming for people. And so I just highly encourage everyone to follow along with the HSP Awakening Summit as well um, as we get closer to that in October. Yeah, 
I can't believe that. Um, I think that did come into my mind right at the beginning and then I completely forgot. So, um, yeah, great. You're co-hosting that um, summit with Jen Corcoran, who um, mm. I have had on a guest as my on my previous podcast. And um, we're going to be doing, um, uh, you know, we're some of the speakers, but it's just going to be phenomenal. And that event is free as well. So, you know, yeah. we will put a link in the show notes for you to sign up so that you can you, you can be made aware of when it's all live. Um, it's totally free. So, you know, just click on, on, on the link and register your interest. This episode will go out during August. So the, okay. um, yeah, so the summit is in uh, the first week of October, which is HSP, which is international, is it? International uh, HSP? World HSP Day. World HSP Day. Um, so the week around that is when the summit is going to be out at the beginning of October. So yeah, come and check us all out on there as well. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to have you back. We've already talked about having you back to talk about burnout. So uh, we've not recorded that yet, but um, we will. you will definitely be hearing and seeing from Josh again. Um, but for now, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, same here. Thank you so much for having me and, and for the amazing work that you guys are doing. Take Thank care. you, Josh. So it's bye from all of us for now. <laughs> Thanks for listening to HSP Connection. If you've enjoyed it, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast and share it with anyone you think might be interested. It helps others find us. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave us a review. To get in touch with us, you can email us at hspconnectionpodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you with your thoughts and comments on the episodes and any suggestions you have for future topics and guests. We are both HSP coaches and speakers. And to find out more about Robbie, go to Robbie Lee, that's L-E-I-G-H dot com. And to find out more about Philippa, go to safeandsupported.co.uk. See you next time.